And uh, you may be seated. Thank you once again for coming tonight. Don't forget what's going on this week. Uh, we've got a number of things happening. And of course, every day we're on uh, YouTube and our various platforms. And so catch us and help others to subscribe. And then don't, uh, don't stop there. Uh, be a witness. Pass out tracts. We've got our Phil America. How are we doing on that? Pretty good. Pretty good. Good responses. And praise God for that. And uh, we're continuing to, to go where others have not gone before. And uh, we'll find out <laughs> what the end result will be. But we're happy uh, to share the good news wherever we are, whether it's in the mall or the Walmart or wherever it is, door to door. Praise God for that. Wednesday night, be here at 730. And uh, we're in the book of Romans. It's profitable for doctrine. We know that uh, God has given us his inspired and preserved word. Uh, we need to profit. Amen. And uh, then... On Saturday, we'll be out, and we will uh, once again uh, have uh, cleaning uh, detail and then visitation. And next Sunday, Sunday morning, we're going to feature something that's very unique. We're going to have a candlelight service, but in the morning service, 11 o'clock. So come on, bring people. It'll be a quiet and uh, enjoyable atmosphere. So get a lot of the same crowd back next Sunday for the 11 o'clock service. And we'll have lots of music and special things going on. You're going to have a great time uh, here with us. And don't forget, uh, we'll be here on New Year's Eve as well with a candlelight in the evening service. So lots of special things going on. Don't forget uh, how important these days are to be a witness and to share Jesus with others. We want to speak tonight on the subject of worshiping the baby King Jesus. Worshiping the baby King Jesus. Jesus. Aren't you glad that we know that we know that we know what we know about our Savior, Jesus Christ? Let's review some of those things very quickly. We know that He came from heaven. We know that uh, God, of course, uh, was in the form of a human. And uh, this baby was conceived of the Holy Ghost without a sin nature and was robed in flesh. And during the time He was here, he uh, did something very special. I want you to turn in your Bibles to Philippians chapter number 2. Philippians chapter number 2. Now this morning we were in uh, 1 Timothy and we know that uh, uh, that's a faithful saying and, and worthy of all acceptation that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. But in Philippians, in Philippians chapter number 2, Philippians chapter 2, and verse number five, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Uh, it's important to God that we think and have the same attitude and the same mindset that Jesus did when, when God the Son was in the human body here. What that means is what we think, you know, whether it's good or pure or right, as it says over in chapter number four, think on these things. We need, to, we need to order our thought processes according to what the Bible teaches us about how Jesus thought about things. So uh, you remember the, the little bracelets uh, based on Sheldon's book, uh, In His Steps, and uh, WWJD, What Would Jesus Do? All right, what, what did Jesus say and what did he teach about how we're supposed to think, how we're supposed to feel about people? It's not... It's not up to us to determine, but it's up to us to, to know what the Bible teaches about what Jesus thought and what Jesus felt. And then we are to yield to Him and allow Him to think through our minds and, 
and to feel through our emotions and live through our life because He has no hands but ours on this earth. He has no feet but ours. He has, he has no life through which to live but ours. And so we need to do this. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who be in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God. So if he had, if he had just remained in that divine, uh, unaltered state without becoming a man, it would have been okay. That would not have been wrong or illegal, but he didn't choose to do that. Verse 7 begins with the conjunction, but, but made himself of no reputation. So instead of assuming all of the uh, position and uh, all of the place that would have been his had he not become a man like we are in flesh, uh, but instead he chose to do this, to take upon himself the form of a servant, all right, a servant, and was made in the likeness of men. Let me give you a quiz question. Which, which of the three persons of the Trinity took upon himself the form of a servant? The Son, the second person of the Trinity. Now, we know that in the Son, even though we can't understand this, we accept it by faith. All of the Father and all of the Spirit were in the Son, simultaneously. I, I don't understand that, but I accept that because the Bible says so. But in terms of identity as which of the three of the triune God took upon himself the form of servant, it's God the Son. God the Son. So we understand, therefore, that our position in this world is to be one of service, to be a servant. We need a servant's heart. So if, if we take an attitude looking down at somebody else, that's inappropriate, isn't it? That's wrong. We're supposed to be seeing everybody on this level, not looking down, not looking down our nose, not being judgmental. Judge not, lest ye be judged. We're not to judge others. We are to simply see everybody on the same level that we are. As it's well been stated, the ground is level at the foot of the cross. That means every person... In the universe, nobody is superior to anyone else. All of the rest of us, as human beings, are sinners. All the rest of us are flawed. All the rest of us have to look to Jesus Christ for our redemption. We have to ask Him for salvation. When we receive that salvation, then we need to yield to Him. As I was saying to those folks today, some of them who got saved today, I said this. I said, that does not mean, if you receive Christ, that all your problems are going to end. We, we have inherited a, a world of problems and challenges. And the only way for us to face is as Jesus Christ faced as a servant. We need to have a servant's heart, a servant's attitude, not judging others, not looking down at others, seeing others as, as we see ourselves, obviously. And so we were made as He was made. Uh, and that is we're made as human beings in the likeness of men. And being found in fashion as a man... He humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. You and I may not have to go to a, a, an actual physical cross, but we should be obedient unto whatever degree, whatever command, whatever direction the Lord takes us. Wherever He takes us, we should be obedient. And so what is our answer when the Lord 
directs us through His Word, by His Spirit, uh, into a course of action, of service, with a servant's heart. Our answer should be, yes, Lord, yes. Whatever you say, Lord, whatever you say to me. And we understand certain things about our role. We understand as men, as women, as, as adults, as children, we understand there are certain aspects of those roles that are already automatically in the Word of God. We don't have to do any further search. We just do what the Bible says. We just yield to God. We say, uh, Lord, I want you to live through me. I want you to speak through me. And uh, I don't want to usurp or change my position. I don't want to usurp anybody else's position. I want to be in that position that you want me to be with the same disposition that Jesus had. All right? Same, same disposition as Jesus had. He humbled himself, became obedient. Wherefore God also hath highly exalted him and given him a name that which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow of things in heaven, things in earth, and things under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Now having covered that, we understand, we get a little clearer picture of what all this business of Christmas is about. It's not about the tree. It's not about the ornaments. It's not about the presents under the tree or the shopping for the presents, you know, or making sure that we got everybody on our Christmas card list. All those things, I'm sure, come into the, the larger picture. But if we were to narrow it down and keep it very basic, it's about keeping our focus right on Jesus Christ and realizing that He wants to live through us and touch the lives of others so that at this season and all during the year, people say, what's different about that individual? What's different about that man or that woman or that boy or that girl? What's different is Jesus is in us. Jesus, Christ in you, the hope of glory. Jesus is living out of us. How we deal with our with our friends and family, how we deal with our co-workers, how we deal with our neighbors, how we deal with our enemies is all determined by this pattern of Jesus Christ. Having the position that we know we have through the Word of God, having the disposition of a servant that is yielded and obedient and humbled and says, yes, Lord, yes. When Jesus came down to this world, think about this. He started in this world physically, by being conceived of the Holy Ghost inside the Virgin Mary. And then, of course, he, his actual birth was similar to the way any of us got here. He had to be born of that woman, but she had not had a relationship with a man. There was no sin nature. So nine months after conception, God in a body is born. And you have this little tiny you know, I don't know, was he six, nine, eight, seven, eleven pounds? I don't know what he was, but just a little baby. Helpless in the physical sense. He submitted to that weakness. Think about that. God's plan, you know, of course, that that baby was protected. Protected from Herod, trying to kill all the babies, including Jesus. And they fled to Egypt, and they were protected. They came back after the death of Herod. You know... What I'm telling you is absolutely true. God provided the, the wise men. We say the three wise men, but there were three gifts. There could have been 300 wise men. The wise men come with their gifts. They probably had a caravan, armed security and everything to come all the way across you know, the Fertile Crescent, bring gold with them. We know that when Jesus was presented at eight days of age in the temple, 
they, Mary and Joseph brought just a, a, just a bird for an offering. And that's what a poor person would do. So the wise men hadn't been there yet. Because when the wise men got there, they were in a house and Jesus was a young child. And they brought gold, frankincense, and myrrh, which depicts, you know, the prophet, priest, and king, depicts uh, the, uh, the life and ministry of Jesus Christ. Very symbolic, very important. But also provided, see that, against the backdrop of these wise men coming and causing a stir in Jerusalem before they got to Bethlehem. And Herod says, hey, I don't like this. And he gets all his cutthroats and they go out and they kill all the babies. And uh, Jesus has escaped already. And how could they escape? They had that get out of town money. They had that gold that came with the Magi. It came with the wise men. You see, God knows the beginning from the end. God provides. You know what? Just when you think there's no way out, God will send some wise men. God will send somebody with some gold or some frankincense or some myrrh or something. And in all of that, he's going to provide for you. How many of you have seen God miraculously move? Amen. Amen. God's still in the miracle working business. And so when Jesus came into this world, as we know, he was born in that, in that way. And the Shepherds were informed, isn't it amazing, those common ordinary folks that we talked about, they were informed by the angels and they went with haste and they found Mary and Joseph and the babe, all right? And when they had seen it, they made known abroad. I want you to underline that word abroad. I've seen that thousand times, no exaggeration. But it's like the Lord illuminated that to me. Because what we read next is this, the saying which was told them concerning this child, and all they that heard it wondered at those things which were told them by the shepherds. Mary kept all these things, pondered them in her heart, and preached on that. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had heard and seen as it was told unto them. Now we're looking at the, this worship of the baby king in the manger by the shepherds, these humble folks, and what that worship did. That worship is where we all need to begin. When we meet Jesus, we need to bow down before Him. We need to yield to this one who has humbled Himself to be obedient to the death of the cross, has come to this world to become the Lamb of God, to represent, represent not only God to man, but, but also uh, represent man and our responses and to teach us by example as we yield to the Spirit of God, how we ought to behave and how we ought to, how we ought to think, all those things are contained in this story. It's amazing. Absolutely amazing. What I want you to see is this, that they, they made known the saying, all right? And they made known abroad the saying, which was told them. And they went out, and everybody that heard it were, Wondering, and shepherds returned, glorifying, praising God. If the word abroad means within their normal, their normal setting of being shepherds, because they had sheep to take care of, they had responsibilities to raise those sheep to become the offerings until now the lamb was here, but the sheep would continue to be offered through about 70 A.D. when Titus came in and destroyed Jerusalem. And that was the end of, of animal uh, 
sacrifice. Uh, no more after that. But up until that time, after the time of Jesus for about four decades, uh, we, have, we have the animal sacrifice. And these shepherds have that primary responsibility of raising those sheep. They've got to watch over those sheep. They've got to take care of those sheep. So if abroad meant within the context, uh, there was a lot of shepherd evangelism going on. And that is a picture of what all of us do, especially what those of us who have a job and have a lifestyle and have limitations and we've got to keep a schedule, what are we supposed to do? In the context of that job, that lifestyle, that schedule, we are to be witnesses. That's what, that's what the Lord says in the Old Testament, ye are my witnesses. Jesus said, ye shall be witnesses unto me. So we have that privilege and responsibility. Going to work doesn't negate our responsibility and privilege of being his witness. I'm an ambassador for Jesus Christ. You know, going to the store doesn't stop me from being a witness. Being a neighbor doesn't stop me from being a witness. Being a relative, an in-law, doesn't stop me from being a witness. Every single person, as we've often said... Every saved person is a missionary in that sense, and every lost person is a mission field. Very important for us to understand that. There aren't several tiers, T-I-E-R-S, there are not several tiers of, of uh, involvement and commitment by Christians. I mean, the only thing I can think of is a modern term that's been, uh, been offered. Uh, when I was reading up the testimony of Bill Monroe, Pastors the great Florence Baptist Temple in, in Florence, South Carolina. He was talking about how he had been hired. He'd been hired by uh, Greg Dixon uh, up in Indianapolis. Uh, before that, he had worked uh, uh, for Homer Ritchie over in Fort Worth, Texas. And he said he and his wife at that point in time were just nominal Christians. Just nominal Christians. What he meant was, everything they did in Christian service, they did out of obligation, and they did the minimum. They did what they felt they had to do to keep up appearances. And there are people like that today, still, and they would have to be classified as nominal Christians. They're probably saved, they and God know, but down deep, they don't want to go to church all the time. They don't want to tithe. They don't want to read their Bible. They don't want to pray. They sure don't want to witness. And he was, it's hard to imagine. This is the same Bill Monroe who had sang in the Smitty Gatlin Trio. This is the same, this is the, this is the same Bill Monroe who had been involved in gospel groups all over the country, playing piano, singing, and so forth. And he was a nominal Christian. But there are nominal Christians who are in the pews and in the pulpits and uh, in gospel groups and, and uh, you know, running bus routes and teaching Sunday school classes, but they're not doing it from the heart. They're not doing it because they want to serve the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. They're doing it because they're afraid they won't look like they're saved if they don't. So they just keep up appearances. I know I'm hitting on all eight cylinders because it's getting really quiet. And uh, I'm, I'm speaking to all of us who have been there. There is some point in our Christian experience when everybody in this room Though I am not, you know, I'm not your, I'm not your confessor, but including myself, there's been some time or other when we've been colder than we ought to be, when we've been 
backslidden, when we've been nominal in our Christianity. Now, the key is to get on fire for Jesus. And not just an emotional experience, but an everyday, just a closer walk with Thee. All right? Close to Thee, Lord. Close to Thee. All, all along my, uh, my uh, journey, my earthly journey, let me walk close to Thee. That's it. So, we understand the difference between nominal Christianity and uh, on the winning side, fired up, I'm ready to go, charge hell with a squirt gun kind of Christianity. These shepherds had experienced something right there. What did they experience? They had come into direct contact with God in a body. Jesus Christ. The baby Jesus in the manger. What a wonderful, amazing sight. What did they do? They bowed down and worshipped. Now, worship is not a physical thing. In other words, it's not how we kneel or raise our hands or, you know, close our eyes or open our eyes or whatever we do. That's not it. Worship has to do with us inside. So if you're going to do any bowing down, it needs to be inside. <laughs> That's it. It's not, it's not this, and it's not this, and it's not, you know, fall on the floor, but it's inside. It's inside. So let me ask the question, are you and am I where the shepherds were when they worshipped the baby Jesus? Are we there? Come on, be, be honest now. You out there, are we where the shepherds were? You say, well, no, they were outside of a stable. It probably stank, and uh, you had animals, and they're mooing and lowing and uh, whatever they, they do. Animals make noises, and, and uh, it was probably, you know, Probably wasn't the ideal thing. And that's because our ideas of ideal when it comes to worship, our mindset is more directed along the lines of our flesh and what our logic and our flesh, fleshly thinking and our fleshly religiosity comes up with. Oh, we want to have the right carpet or the right marble or the right, you know, right surroundings and all of that. But it's very possible and very likely so. Those shepherds were closer, not just physically, but spiritually, to what believers ought to be. Then we might be in the most beautiful surroundings as a church, as a place of gathering, church building. They had learned that worship had to do with relationship with this Jesus. And on the inside, our worship, our, our relative spiritual position. Lord, all of me. Take all of me. Use, use me. Work through me. Speak through me. Make a difference. Amen? Amen. All right, so there it is. So there they come. They come with haste. They, they bow down. They worship. They're, they're amazed, and they decide to go out, and they spread it abroad. Now, that word abroad, if it means more than just in their own zone, in their own area, that means that for a period of time, they, they had handed off important responsibilities as lesser priorities to other people that could take care of the responsibilities. God's given you a, a spouse, a, given you kids, given you a home, given you a job. You have responsibilities. 
And for you to, to uh, hand those off, it's got to be pretty important. But there are extraordinary circumstances where the Lord says, all right, for this period of time, I want you to go to this field and I want you to serve and set aside your job or set aside your other responsibilities. Give those responsibilities to people who can be trusted with them and take care of those uh, lesser priorities. They're still priorities, but they're lesser priorities because the business of the King of Kings and Lord of Lords is more important than all of the business in the world. Now let me ask you this. I've just asked you about your worship and your position inwardly, but let me ask you this. Do you consider the business of serving the Lord to be the most important business in the world? Do you believe that? If that's the most important business in the world, then whatever, as this old song goes, whatever He wants for me, His will, His will I must do. Wow. That's it. Wherever He sends me, whatever He says to me, I need to do it without argument, without you know, digging in my heels, without, but Lord, but Lord, how many times has the Lord spoken to us, urged us, maybe about teaching a class or running a bus route or being part of a ministry to senior citizens or uh, serving, maybe helping with uh, blind folks or deaf folks or, or uh, people that are challenged in some disability. And how many times has He spoken to us and we've said, but Lord, and we've thrown up this, uh, this uh, subjection. And it may sound logical, but I wonder if it originated in our flesh instead of in our disposition being willing to do whatever God wants us to do. So, where, where is it all connected? Here's where it's connected. I believe when there is distance between us inwardly and we're not bowing down inwardly and we're not worshiping the Lord unconditionally inwardly, when we don't have that closeness, we've got some distance that I believe we are more frequent in denying the Lord access. And we're, we're saying this, uh, Lord, you can have me, but there, there's this room in my house, I've got the key, and you just stay out of there. It's my business, not yours. We, we say, this part of my life, uh, stay out of it. Or, uh, Lord, uh, I'm, I'm willing to, give my, to go this far and give myself, but I'm not willing to go all the way and give all of myself totally. Because, after all, it involves this change in my status or this change in my location or this change in my associations or this change in my finances. Do you know that every one of those categories and every one that I could mention are non-essential? You say, but I need money. I need location. I need people. I need the job. Since when? Since when? Only if the Lord is in it. Only if the Lord's in your finances or the Lord's in your job or the Lord's in your relationships or the Lord's in your situation, only then do you need it. But you don't need it for any other reason because my God shall supply all of your needs according to His riches and glory. Now we're getting interesting here. I'm about to expose who our God really is. It could be. You call yourself a born-again Christian. I call myself a born-again Christian. I'm including myself. And yet, 
We would not sacrifice something in our life if the Lord called because we say we can't. It's essential. You have just identified who your real God is. My real God is whatever I say is essential. Whatever I refuse to surrender. Whatever I take my little paws off of. Whatever I unhook from. Are you listening? Because this is so important for believers tonight. We create our own false gods. John, the beloved apostle, in 1 John chapter 5, verse 21, the last verse of 1 John, he says, little children, here's what he says, keep yourself from idols. Why? Because there is a very real danger that professing believers are idolaters. And the identification of our idol or of our false god is whatever we say is essential. When we stand before the preacher or the justice of the peace and we say, for better, for worse, in sickness and health, we take our vows. Those are absolutely binding because they're before God and man. Absolutely. And we're supposed to observe those and be faithful. And that means being faithful not only physically, but being faithful spiritually, emotionally, mentally, all of those ways. We're not to stray in any of those areas. We're to be faithful. The way we can be faithful is by staying focused on Jesus, though. The Lord gave me this woman, and God gave this woman this man. We understand that. In that sense, we're essential. But the day may come, God forbid, sweetie, when one of us will be called home. What do I do then? The person who decides to fold their tent and just, I know what grief is. I understand grief. But they cease to live. It's clear who and what their God is. We love our loved ones with all of our heart. And we miss them after they're gone. But Jesus is still king. And he's still upon the throne. And he says, all right, I'm so sorry that you're feeling that. Jesus can say, I felt everything you're feeling. Man of sorrows acquainted with our what? Griefs. He knows what you're grieving. He knows how you're grieving. And I have seen him move into the life of a person. I'm thinking of one right now. And he says, I want you to move into this other sphere. And now that this dear loved one has gone on to glory already, you have the opportunity to move into this other sphere. Now that sounds awful to us because we have our mindset in a fleshly manner set up already rather than let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. How much did Jesus leave behind when he left heaven? If you said everything, you win the prize. He left everything to come down here to die for us. And he says, through the, Paul, the Apostle Paul, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, took upon himself the form of a servant, humbled himself unto the death of the cross. Think of that. Think of that. And we are told in the scripture to die daily, to die to our self-willed way of life. 
But we say, hey, I'm making this money, I'm living in this house, I'm driving this car, I have this position, I have these associations. I'm just, I'm living, I'm doing my own thing. It won't take the Lord very long to bring you to reality. We're to let Jesus have His way. Starting from the inside. Those shepherds came to where the baby Jesus was in a manger. What a strange thing. Those shepherds, common ordinary people, give us a, a, a role model to follow, an example to follow. And they fell down and worshipped. And inside, they were completely open to whatever He had for them. And they went and spread it abroad. Now, if it was inside of shepherding, they were great shepherd evangelists. But maybe it was beyond that. It's a great, uh, great missions theme here that we've got tonight in the Christmas story. Missions. I want you to think about the people who get on the boat or get on the plane for the first time and they go 10,000 miles away from their home, their family, and they don't know if they'll ever see them again or how often they'll see them. Is that, isn't that separation like a death? It sure is. And they are living by faith. They're depending on churches like us. Think about this. To give by faith so they get their 50 or their 100 or their 200 or whatever amount of money per month. And there are enough of those churches, maybe there are 50 of them, that, that they're able to live, but, but they have to use that money not only for their food and their clothes and for their housing, but also for their church that they're planting on the field. And they're doing it all by faith. And here we sit in our comfort. Think about that. Think about that. We say, I'm going to be okay as long as I don't have to go there. But what if the Lord were to call there? What if He were to say, I want you. I want you to go to that place where it's not comfortable, where there's not as much plenty as you have right now, where your loved ones are thousands of miles away. It's as if there has been a death. You are separated from them. It's a difficult situation. God gives a thing called grace to people to do those kinds of things. God is not cruel. If there's a death or there's a separation, if there is service for God, if you're willing to be separate either abroad in this sense or abroad in that sense, either way, God provides the grace that's necessary. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had seen and heard as it was told unto them. They were praising God. It says over in Psalm 95, O come, let us sing unto the Lord. Let us make a joyful noise to the rock of our salvation. Let us come before His presence with thanksgiving and make a joyful noise unto Him with psalms. For the Lord is a great God and a great King above all gods. It's very possible those shepherds, having memorized portions of Scripture, I mean, they... they we know David sat out there and made up tunes to go with the Scripture. Very possible they knew this. The Lord is a great God and a great King above all gods. Small g-o-d-s. Now I'm going to bring it full circle. Which God are we serving tonight? Who is the God that's sitting on the throne of my heart and your heart? Who is that God? Is He the the God of all gods, the King of all kings, or is it small G-O-D God? Something that we've constructed, something that we're comfortable with, something that we're, we're in a sense of, of a fleshly uh, satisfaction instead of saying, Lord, 
From the inside, I'm kneeling down and worshiping. You have all of me. My heart, my soul, my mind, my strength, every bit of me. I want to love the Lord, my God, with all my heart, soul, mind, and might and strength. Amen. All of this world belongs to him. And the same God who directs the wind and the rain and the sea will not force us to go against our will. You can't show me a verse in the Bible that says that God will use the power that would be His to force us to do the right thing that He's speaking to us in a still small voice about. I don't know about you. There are times like this when I study the Word of God this way and I feel very ashamed of myself. In spite of the fact that we go soul winning, in spite of the fact that we try to serve the Lord and try to do it with gladness. It says in the sixth verse of the 95th Psalm, O come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord our Maker, for He is our God, and we are the people of His pasture and the sheep of His hand. Today, if ye will hear His voice, harden not your heart, as in the provocation and as in the day of temptation in the wilderness, when your Father tempted me, proved me, and saw my work. Forty years was I grieved with this generation. I said, it is a people that do err in their heart, and they have not known my ways, unto whom I swear in my wrath that they should not enter into my rest. That's the, that's the promised land of victorious Christian living. It has nothing to do with heaven or hell. It has to do with why we're here. We're not here about us. We're here about Him. I've come on business for the King of Kings, Lord of Lords, and we need to bow down and worship Him like those shepherds and say, Lord, you can have all of me. And whether you want to use me abroad among the other shepherds or use me abroad as a mission on some missionary on some mission field, Lord, you've got me. Lock, stock, and barrel. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes. Every head bowed, every eye closed. And how many of you tonight say, Preacher, something in the Word spoke to my heart. Slip your hand up high. Something spoke to my heart. Something spoke to my heart. Amen. And the question is, what will we do about it tonight? As we sing in just a moment a song of invitation, I hope that uh, we'll make room for whatever the Lord has for us and that we'll do whatever He directs us to do. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, call upon Him right now. Say, Lord Jesus, come in my heart and save me and take away my sins and take me to heaven. And then let us know that you've done that. If you desire baptism or membership or closer walk with the Lord, you want to come and pray, I urge you to do that. Tonight is the night. Let's respond the way the Holy Spirit is guiding. Let's not harden our hearts as in the day of provocation. Would you stand to your feet? And
night the stars are brightly shining it is the night of the dear Savior's birth long lay they were in seated And the soul felt his birth. A thrill of hope the weary would rejoice for younger men and you and glorious song. On your knees, oh, he. Yeah. Hey. 